All right. So a few episodes ago, we had Q, and now we have Loex on a Troy. Uh, it's all the greatest hits of Next Generation. I'm very happy about this. Uh, n- no, actually, I think it's the exact opposite <laughs> of the greatest hits. I, I, I mean, we could have Barkley come in. We could have Barkley and uh, the well, uh, the outrageous uh, Akana. Uh, well, we. I'm not saying that that that's maybe not going to happen. Maybe and we get the outrageous Akana coming back. Uh, well, actually, he becomes a main cast member in season six. We rarely get to listen to it. Listen, did the did, did fan fiction run with the outrageous Akana? Is, is that a? I have no idea. I pay no attention <laughs> to fan fiction whatsoever. Okay, so it's not like there's a series of novels, you know. Well, no, I, really, I just you know. Um, this episode, to a degree, almost felt like fan fiction to me because it was. It seemed like someone's bizarre idea of shipping Odo and Loxana Troy for no reason. Um, and I like the fact that it ultimately does... It, it, they do get a very interesting take on both characters. Um, they do bring a lot of nuances to each other. And, you know, one of the one of the things I know we talked about with the Vash episode, and I think there was another... Um, where the episode is about giving us characterization of a guest star, and that's kind of pointless in a way, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Well, I mean, here to a degree, you know, it's giving us further characterization of the Loxana Troy, which, you know, if you like the character, that's that's great. You know, if you don't, we're still getting a lot of deep characterization of Odo, who is a main character and who is someone we like, and so this episode does have a very strong point to it, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I'll be upfront and say that I don't think that the Forsaken is a great episode. Yeah. I, I do like the character development that Odo gets in this episode. You get a little bit of his backstory here. You know, I don't. I think it had not been really been revealed before that he was sort of like studied by a Bajoran scientist and yeah. all this kind of stuff, right? And we don't know exactly what was going on, and assumedly we'll find that out in the future. But yeah, you're right. I think that that Loaxana Troy in this episode, and and Loaxana Troy, you know, I, I, we joke around at the beginning of the episode, but. You know, legitimately, I don't really like Q, and I don't really think that Q adds much to to the Star Trek mythos. But Loex on is a character that, over the seven seasons of The Next Generation, yeah. she definitely grew on me. And I think that she gets uh, short shrift a lot of the time based on the sort of, like, you know, horny old woman stereotype. Yeah, and- well, this is the this is Loex on Troy coming from uh, the, 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 the Dark Page and from um, the one where she... The one where she falls in love with the guy from the Logan's Run planet, like, um, you know, yeah, and this, this, is get, this vis- gets a little this gets a little confusing, of course, because this episode was before Dark Page, but, but it still it still has that same understanding of the character. Now, the Dark Page does talk about a bit about the reasons why she became this person, sure. But, th- but this episode very much has the understanding of her as she is somebody who, when she has an audience. She's loud. She's in everybody's business. She's nosy. She's flirtatious. She's larger than life. She has these ridiculous outfits. And, you know, it it very much recognizes that because she's very afraid to be, you know, the point when they're in the elevator and, you know, he's trying to be quiet and she's like, look, I have to talk. Like, you know, she has to always be performing because, you know, when she's not, she's by herself. And again, the dark page, we learn it's because of, you know, probably, you know, because of the death of her her daughter, you know, which was this massive trauma. Um, 
he, you know, again, here it doesn't go into the reasonings behind it, but it has that same depth of understanding of who she is and why she does it this way. And well, and I also think that it, it, it's interesting because it paints Lawaxana Troy as a as a person and as yeah. a character who is actually more perceptive than perhaps we've given her credit for in the past. Yeah. You know, I think that she latches onto Odo because she wants to bone Odo, which is fine. Uh, who wouldn't want to? But it, it's interesting to me that that she very quickly pivots into this sort of like motherly role yeah. with him and sort of like taking care of him. And I think that, you know, she's someone who I, I don't know. We've never really talked. I don't think about why she's so aggressively sexual. And I think part of that may be because she maybe feels inadequate as a mother because she, I mean, this is all sort of like retconning it from Dark Page. But yeah. It may be that she feels inadequate as a mother and inadequate as a parent, and so she want, but she still has that desire to sort of like take care of people and feel wanted, and so this is how she does it. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of goes along with how she dresses and the wigs and all of this kind of elaborate costuming that she goes through as well. I think. Yeah, I mean, she she, I, I, to say that you know the maternalness and the sexuality are at odds. I mean that that's you know they they are very intricate, very intricately linked. Um concepts you know obviously yeah, well, I'm one leads to the other not. um but you know one of the things i thought was very interesting is that i mean this episode almost completely avoids the question of whether or not she's able to read odo or not like i i true don't think they even bothered to address it you know they which i think is funny because they do make a point where she says oh i can't read you know ferengi and you know they have the she they solve the mystery at the beginning where there's you know the other that other alien, you know, that she can't read, you know, so, so the concept of, you know, frankly, the fact that Odo in the very next episode is told by Bashir that he has a completely different structure. I think the odds that Loaxana can actually read Odo are fairly high. And so, you know, yeah, she listens to this story where he talks about what it was like to, you know, grow up. She, he, he you know, she finally does in, in, you know, encourage him to be open about that. And from that, she, immediately realizes that no he's lonely and you know he has a trouble you know and he has these you know i i would say you know as larger than life as she usually is as over the top as crazy um she is a very perceptive yeah and sensitive person and you know you don't it's true you don't read everybody's mind without picking up a very strong sense of human nature you know and you know it's very clear that you know betazoids are very perceptive. So I think it's nice to see that here. You well, know? I think it's, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting read on her because I, I do wonder about that. You know, we've talked a little bit about Betazoids in the past and, you know, what the planet would be like and what their society and their culture would be like. And, and you know, we don't really know, but sort of, you know, you can assume that it would yeah. be very open and it would be very sexual and it would be all of these things. Yeah. With, Again, their, with, their wedding ceremonies are naked. It's a very open society. Well, you know? yeah, of course. They're yeah. a bunch of but, hippies, I figure, but. But I think that, that, the the interesting thing about Lawaxana in this episode, and I think in general even, is that we're not sure to what degree, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's having the ability to, to read people's minds and having the ability to sort of feel their emotions, you know, you, I think the, 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 the franchise could have gone down the path of that would have, that would make you very, very, uh, closed off, and that would make you very uh, non-receptive to to knowing yeah. uh, how people are feeling when you don't when you don't have that ability. And and on the other hand, the, the the franchise seems to be going down the road of well, she's she's very attuned to that because 
for whatever reason, fill in the blank. You know, I yeah. don't know which interpretation very, I like more. I mean, they make it clear that, you know, Luoxone Troy is a very curious person. I mean, she 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 almost implies in this episode that half the reason that she's interested in Odo is because he's the only one of his kind, and that's really exotic, you know? It's very yeah. clear that, you know, Luoxana has been with all different species at this point, and you know, to a degree that's, you know, another one in the collection, you know, uh, you know, not to be a little crass about it, but you know, so to have somebody who is, you know, mentally closed off to her that she has to kind of learn the old fashioned way that that's almost a challenge. That's, it's a riddle, you know, it's, it's a mystery to her. And, you know, again, Loxana is the kind of person who likes that, you know, she likes the process of learning about all different people. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's very interesting to see the point, though, that which she turns from needling to being, you know, very compassionate. I mean, she is the kind of I she always teases as long as she can get away with it. You know, we, we see how she's always treated Picard, you know, where she's, you know, just poking at him because she finds it hilarious. You know, Picard is very, very, you know, rules driven and very straight laced and a little square compared to her. And so. She enjoys flustering him, you know, and for a little while she's doing that with Odo, too. She recognizes that he's that she makes him a little nervous and she's having fun with that. But then when they're in this elevator and they're having this actual conversation, you know, that stops because she doesn't want to actually upset someone, you know, and it doesn't it's not a sign of disrespect. I mean, even to go back to that terrible episode with her and Alexander in the mud bath, I mean, she is an anti-mame character. She do, it, she does consider it her role in life to have everyone have a little fun, whether they want to or not, especially if they don't want to. Yeah, and I think well, I want to talk about the elevator scene, but uh, especially the end of it. But but I do I want to go into Odo a little bit because I think that this is the the first time that we're really getting a sense of Odo being sort of panicked around the idea of sex or 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 whatever i'm not sure and i think that there's a lot of questions surrounding odo's gender and a lot of questions surrounding odo's sort of you know even uh, i don't know he odo from what i understand and, and you can kind of you know correct me if you think that there's a different interpretation here but you know, we, we think back to, I think, the second episode or the third episode of, uh, of Deep Space Nine where he's talking about he doesn't see the point in coupling and he doesn't yeah. see the point of being in a relationship. And, you know, Odo, to, to all intents and purposes, like Loaxana, uh, but to a greater degree, is, is, is a performance, right? You know, we don't know what Odo is really like. We don't know what Odo is really, really looks like. We don't know what Odo would look like in his natural environment with his own people. And so... He is performing the role of a humanoid. He is performing yeah. the role of, of being culturally and socially uh, not not Bajoran, but but at least in the vein of of being a humanoid. And then one thing about Star Trek is that humanoids generally kind of understand each other for various reasons. Yeah. I mean, in this episode, he talks about, you know, they talk about his hair and he says, you know, oh, I got that from one of the scientists, you know. So, yeah, I mean, that by extrapolation, you know, his entire physical appearance is a probably an amalgamation of everyone who knew oh i like this guy's nose oh you know i 
we watched a movie and I liked the ears of that, you know, pers- you know, that's why Odo looks as he does. Um, well, and I think it's, I think it's interesting that, that Odo doesn't have a more normal face. And I think the implication is that he can't make one, but you know, it's kind of interesting yeah. that he doesn't have a Bajoran nose, for instance, when he was ostensibly raised quote unquote by Bajorans. But, but what I, what I really find interesting about Odo in this, in this episode is you know, I'm not sure to what degree we're supposed to think that Loaxana being interested in him is a good thing or a bad thing. He seems panicked by the idea. He's frankly, he seems I don't know. He doesn't strike me as someone who's not interested in sex. He doesn't strike me as someone who's not interested in women. But does that mean that Odo is a man? I, I, I don't know. And I think that these are kind of questions that the show isn't really capable of answering because it's just sort of like it's putting this out there and it's it's kind of uh, uh it's a it's an early 90s yeah. show so it's not really interested in engaging with these questions but i think that there are some big questions surrounding odo here i mean i would suggest that he thinks of himself as male and again while he doesn't probably form genitalia because he doesn't need to uh yeah why would he if he were to you know, I, I I would assume he would, you know, number one, he would probably take the genitalia of whatever partner he would go with would prefer. You know what I mean? I mean, if he happened to, if Quark and Odo decided to take their relationship closer, uh, Odo would not look like that. But that that's a uh, different story. Um, sure. <laughs> um, I'm not sure where we're taking this. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. Dark I just places, but uh, well, no. I just, I, I just, I just wonder to what degree. You know, the show obviously has has decided that Odo is a man, and he presents yeah. as a man because he's pl- he's played by Rene Aubergenois, and Rene Aubergenois is a man. Yeah, uh, and that and that's all fine, and I I think that that's interesting. But you know, for for the show to sort of grapple with these ideas of you know, and, and of course, like transgenderism was not a, a really uh, widely understood at this point. I mean, you know, transgenderism is really something that. Uh, hasn't really become uh, part of the sort of cultural zeitgeist until the last couple of years, really, I think. You know, it, it, to a large degree, I think that this is a conversation that we're just starting to have. And I would also and, agree, I would also argue that even in the circles that were discussing it, the construction was very different than it is today. I mean, this is 20, absolutely. 20 years from now, and the, it you know, given, anyway. But I think it's interesting that the show doesn't raise the question. And I think it's interesting the show doesn't seem to even really realize that there is a question about this. You know, Odo presents as a man, as a male humanoid. Loaxana Troy is interested in an end of story. And I, I think that it's interesting that Odo reacts the way that we would think a man in this situation would react to perhaps hadn't had much experience with women. I, you know, I don't know where to go with that. I just kind of, I'm just raising this as an interesting question, I think. Hmm. You know, this may be, you know, completely going to a different angle of the point, because I'm not sure if I have really an answer for that. But what I guess this episode is making... How dare you? I know. Uh, this episode is making me think contrast Data and Odo, because in a way, they had the same childhood. Uh, Data, obviously, was created in a lab, was studied by Federation scientists, and what happened to Data... He wants to become human desperately. That's his goal in life. He is a Federation officer through and through. He looks like the scientist who created him, uh, you know, and his brother. He is a very uh, he's a very direct analog of, you know, Dr. Sung. Um, Yeah, he you know, he in, in a way. 
and data doesn't data never um for all of the you know desire to be human data never feels any shame about being a robot he doesn't mind discussing his robotic nature his android nature uh he doesn't feel embarrassed about someone opening up his head and you know performing work in front of other people you know the you know hell in the measure of a man he wasn't even upset about the idea of being dissected and 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 examined as he was the fact that it was too risky of a procedure yeah um data doesn't mind being a science project to a degree because he recognizes his dignity uh outside of that odo doesn't have that much of an intrinsic sense of self-worth because he doesn't have anything directly to model himself to give that to him he feels embarrassed about the fact that he grew up in a lab he describes his you know, shape-shifting for them as, you know, I mean, doesn't he talk about being, like, a performing monkey or something like that? Um, I mean, he doesn't He doesn't say that, but the, I think the but implication the, I, is there. Yeah, I don't remember if that was just, that was an actual line. But, yeah, he, he feels, you know, embarrassed about that. He doesn't really talk to many, you know, he doesn't shape-shift on command. He's trying well, to get... Well, t- take that even further. He is, Odo is disgusted and embarrassed by his own bodily functions. Yeah. Like that's, he, that's he true. doesn't want he doesn't want anyone to see him uh, resting. Basically, when he turns into a liquid, he doesn't want to even really. He doesn't want even people to really know that he does it unless there's a reason yeah. for them to know. And I, I actually, I, just, I thought I, that was very interesting about it because they. That's been a joke on this. You know, he sleeps in a bucket. You know, that's right. Again, and we we saw the bucket, and they put oatmeal in it. You know, and it was. You know, I I I mean, think about. Think about the oatmeal scene then in the context of this episode where, um, you know, how old uh, – I mean that scene now is coming off as inexpressibly cruel because they're saying, oh, it's oatmeal. We're throwing oatmeal around and it's landing on him and that's their impression of what his sleeping form is. I mean of yeah. course he's disgusted by it, you know. And, yeah. You know, for, for, for a – what was very interesting is for most of the episode, I thought the time limit was, you know, oh, well, if he's in an, uh, in a liquid form, he'll seep out the elevator and be impossible to contain or whatever, you know. And, you know, his discomfort was just solely out of embarrassment. And and that makes this episode much more poignant in a way. You know, he, he doesn't – it's not that he's afraid of turning into liquid, in you know, because he'll die. He's just afraid of turning into a liquid because he doesn't want – anyone to see him uh, yeah i think that's part of it and i wonder also if part of it is just the vulnerability of it as well you know odo yeah. is is one of a kind and odo sort of had this very i think i think it's safe to say that odo was traumatized by the way that he was sort of studying yeah. in the lab and at these parties and being you know being told to turn into different things and everyone claps and goes oh isn't that great you know basically yeah he didn't say that but he basically was a performing monkey and I, I think that that was probably very formative in his his sort of psychic development. Yeah, and it's a you, very different scientist. Again, raised to data as opposed to Odo. You can just tell what they were like, you know. Yeah, and I think that you know there there probably is a large degree of of that. That is where Odo's you know sort of dislike of of humanoid culture and humanoid society comes yeah. from because the only the only thing that he's ever really seen from from them is at his most formative moments was them just you know telling him to perform for them like a dancing monkey and just kind of doing all these experiments on him and all of these kind of things you know i and mean don't they sound like drunk frat boys you know well I yeah mean, pretty yeah. much well and you know we don't know what was going on i mean if this was Bejor, if this was on the station i mean we have no idea i mean what, if this, where was this was even Bejor, they were probably it might have even been 
military scientist, you know, they're made, they, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and so, you know, going back to sort of that scene in the elevator with Loaxana and Odo, I think it's, it's, it's a sign of his trust in her. And I yes. think that this is one of the, you know, Odo trusts very few people on the station. I think he trusts Kira. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If Kira they... had been in the elevator with him, uh, it would be no problem. Probably if Cisco had been in the elevator with him, he would be embarrassed. But, you know, in, in that kind of way that, you know, uh, you know yeah, that, that would bring them together a tiny bit, you know, if it. Yeah. But um, hell, if it had even been Quark, it, you know, Quark would never let him forget it, but he would at least feel safe with him ultimately. But yeah, three locks on him making him nervous as hell for the beginning because she kind of forces him to be open. Yeah, yeah. And I think at the end of the day, to go back to the idea that Odo is basically falling asleep, I, I just think that, yeah. you know, it's it's really, really sad that he's so embarrassed and traumatized by this. You know, this is just a regular bodily function, and he basically cannot stand it. Yeah. And, but, and I don't know what that really means. I don't know that that means that he actually wants to be a humanoid. I, you know, who knows? But at this at this point in the show, it's impossible to say. But I just think that what we what we see of Odo in this episode is sort of it's just really indescribably sad. Yeah, I mean, he's lucky enough that he normally is in a position where he can, you know, everyone around him kind of knows and it's not really talked about. But every 15 hours, he excuses himself and, you know, they just. You know, no one goes in Odo's quarters that time. He locks his door and no one. Can well, he see doesn't him. even have quarters. He sleeps in a bucket in his office. I mean, well, that's, that's you know, yeah, I, I, to it to a large degree. Odo was co- sort of a non person. I mean, I, he I doesn't mean, have a life. Think of it this way, too. I mean, his, uh, uh, um, you know, that that's part of his reason against, you know, not wanting a girlfriend because he he, he doesn't want to live with someone because then they have to see him in his bucket, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and again, there's a sa- you know, there's a sadness to his not having a life that wasn't there with Data because, you know, again, remember Data Day. Data doesn't really sleep. You know, Data's just kind of doing stuff all day, you know. But he's still, I don't know, again, there there was a Data allows himself a dignity and allows himself to have a life because, I don't know, Data always feels engaged in what he's doing. And I don't get the sense Data does what he does to distract himself. This episode kind of begins to hint that Odo is how he is because if he has to deviate from that, he has to deal with his uh, physicality. Well, and here, and this is something that just occurred to me as well that you keep you keep mentioning Data, and I think that you know Data was born and Data sort of became of uh, became of age or however you want to call it matured in the Federation and in an environment where. The stated yeah. goal of Starfleet is to go out and seek new life and new civilization and, and, and differences are celebrated and all of these things, right? And Odo, by contrast, yeah. was was raised in a society which was very closed off, which was being systematically destroyed by the Cardassians. And Yeah, probably... you don't really get much feelings of multiculturalism when you're no. being attacked. <laughs> Right. And so I think that to a large degree, you're seeing the differences between the Federation and everything else. I think this episode and Odo's kind of backstory in general are, are all tying back into the the sort of meta plot of Deep Space Nine in as much as there yeah. is one so far, which is that this is not the Federation. This is very different. These people have very different aims and goals and beliefs. And 
this is not something that Odo really was equipped to deal with. And I think that if you if you took Odo, if Odo was discovered by Federation scientists, I think that Odo would be yeah. a very different person. And and I don't know what that means about the sort of, you know, mutability of personality or whatever. I mean, I think Odo would probably still have the same sort of, you know, dour personality, but I don't think that he would be uh, disgusted by his own body. Well, you know, again, we had in Next Generation, we had someone, we had people like Data, we had people like Worf, you know, they weren't quite as um, elaborate as, you know, people like Odo and Dax are, for example, but Dax doesn't feel like a freak. Odo does. Absolutely. I mean, Dax has been in the Federation for a very long time. You know, Dax would not stay in the Federation if it weren't, you know welcoming towards very different life forms yeah yeah i think so um aside from that i think the forsaken you know we talked a lot about odo i think that the 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 and that was all great because again odo is one of my favorite characters oh yeah no he's fantastic and i think that that's really where the strong uh, this is the strong suit of the episode i think that if you look at the forsaken as an episode of television eh yeah. You know, there's a lot of good stuff in there with Odo and, and Lawaxana. There's there's some good stuff in there with Bashir and sort of like relying on himself and having to, you know, yeah, Cisco, this is... Cisco gets to rag on him a little bit and these kind of things with the ambassadors and he gets to save the day and get their respect. He and finally gets great. his moment to be the frontier hero. You know, this is an ambiguous moment where he gets to save everyone and he does. You know, I'm glad to see that he does rise to the occasion. And I do like that we don't see any of it, you know. Right. I, I think that kind of makes the punchline a little better. And also, frankly, I think that, you know, I don't think that there's much to say about Bashir's storyline in this episode. No. But I think the one thing that's interesting is that uh, when Cisco and Kira finally find the ambassadors and find Bashir in, in the Jeffrey's tube or whatever the Cardassian equivalent of is uh, of a Jeffrey's tube is, he doesn't make a big deal of it. And I think that he's kind of like, eh, I was in the right place at the right time. Anybody would have done this. You know, that's the implication. And I think that this is kind of a a, a good step forward for his character because the the Bashir of a few episodes ago probably would have made a big deal about the fact that, oh, he was so quick thinking and he saved their lives and doesn't he deserve a medal and all of these kind of things. And now he's just kind of like, yeah, this was my job. I did it. And I think that that's, you know, a good sign that Bashir is probably becoming a character that, that is frankly less annoying. <laughs> yeah, again, I, I you could see that built into where he is at the beginning. You can see that this is where they're going to take the character, you know. Do I enjoy the time that I spent with him? No. Will he probably be less horrible? Probably. I hope. And I, yeah, well, we can, we can certainly find out. And I think that, you know, finally, before we move on uh, to Dramatis Personae is that, you know, the, the big, the big open question about Deep Space Nine still at this point in the show is what kind of show is it going to be? And, too often in the first season, we've had these kinds of episodes where a probe comes through the wormhole or a ship comes through the wormhole or something comes through the wormhole and fucks the station up and then it's solved and it's just not very interesting. Yeah. And and the the actual, you know, storyline, quote unquote, of the episode, the plot of the episode, it's just kind of there and it doesn't really go anywhere and it's not very interesting to watch. I mean, it's certainly the glue that ties everyone's storylines together, but... I mean, so let so let me ask you this: Does Pup come back? Does no, I don't think so. See, like you know, like those you know shape shape shifting aliens from a couple episodes ago. It seems like the kind of thing that, in and of itself, it's not interesting. But if this is the backstory for 
Like, I could really see the pup storyline going into a bunch of, you know, this thing grows up. What does it become, you know? Right, Does, it, right. does its mommy come back for it? You know, do they, <laughs> you know, there's a bunch of things that they could do with it. And if this is the seed for that, then that's something interesting. But if this is just something they forget, you know, what's the point? Yeah, it, it, what is the point? It doesn't really go anywhere. I mean, okay, it's funny that O'Brien thinks it's a puppy and he solves the day and he's a little annoyed and it's always fun seeing O'Brien annoyed. But at the end of the day, it's just kind of there. And it doesn't really it doesn't really justify all the time spent on it. And I think that there could have been a better way for Odo and Loaxana to get stuck in an elevator together than to have Woo! this, frankly, you know, paint-by-numbers, uninteresting technobabble plot that, just well, again, you know, we've seen this kind of thing before. And, you know, Deep Space Nine at its best so far has been a show where when it focuses on the characters, it, it it's much better than when it's trying to tell a, a sort of bog standard Star Trek yeah. story. I don't care why they got into the elevator together because what they did in the elevator was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, they could they could either Spend less time on the frame story and make it obvious that we don't care or make it a good frame story. Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, well, let's move on to Dramatis Personae, which I just don't like. I I can see why one didn't like this episode. I Don't felt- other me. I am not one. I am here. I am Eric. I mean, this is, you know, an Everybody Goes Nuts episode. In terms of everyone's acting, it was a fine Everyone Goes Nuts episode. I mean, it's it's competently done. You know, everyone is acting well. Everyone has a different take on their little character. and They're doing different things. I just don't know what the point of any of this was. And frankly, it's boring. Like, once you figure out that... I mean, okay, it's impressive that they were able to get away with this kind of episode so early in the show's run. That means that they were really... It means that so far in the show's run, in the 18 episodes or whatever that we've seen so far, 17 episodes that we've seen so far, they've done a very good job at telling us exactly who these characters are. And so at minute 15 or minute 20, when Kira is starting to seem a little crazy and everyone's starting to seem a little crazy and O'Brien is starting to ask if Dax is with him and you're like, what is going on here? I mean, hell, when they have, when they have, uh, 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 when Dax giggles very quickly or she smiles or something right at the beginning, that was, that's a huge red flag. Like I think my note was, I don't think we've ever seen uh, Dax even smile before. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, you know, they they do a good job at, you know, all of the actors do a good job at finding a personality tick or a sort of, you know. And one that's completely opposite where they are, you know. Yeah, Um, and I I like the slow buildup. I like the fact that at at first you're kind of wondering what's going on and you're sort of noticing this. And then, you know, by, by the time that the episode really ramps up, it's pretty obvious what's going on. Yeah. But again... It's not interesting enough to justify the running time, and I'm just not really sure what I was supposed to get out of this. You know, this is a special effects episode in a very, in right. a very, in a very real way. This is so we can see uh, Kira being uh, a Vulcan. Yeah, I'm sorry, Kira being a Klingon. You know, woman. We can see uh, uh, O'Brien being an you know, elf fascistic. We see Dax yeah. being Rose from the Golden Girls. You know, these are all. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Cisco, I mean, Cisco is awesome because he's at once like, leave me alone. And then he's furious. I mean, that's all great. 
Uh, but there, there's nothing better than Avery Brooks at a scenery chewing best, by the yes. way. Yes. Uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I agree with you. It's all no. it's all fun and interesting. But at the same time, it's it's just kind of like I don't get what the point yeah. of this is. And, you know, it's one of those episodes where you look at it and you say, I don't know what there is to talk about because there's no character development in this episode because everyone is just I mean, aside from Odo and, and I think Bashir was also. No, Bashir is like the. So, 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 which turns out, like, this is almost the dark inner version of inner light. Everybody is reenacting these roles of, you know, yeah. a civilization that died out. So Bashir was obviously somebody who was trying to play both sides, you know, and he was the ultimate, uh, you know, Bashir, whoever Bashir was being possessed by, because these are essentially, this is essentially a possession episode. Yeah. Um, you know, was obviously trying to make deals with everybody and come out on top and be, you know... He was a war profiteer, essentially, was, you know, the take you get from that. But that's kind of my problem with it, is that Bashir is obviously under the influence of this, but at the same time, he solves the problem. And and so to me, it's kind well, of it like... Well, it doesn't mean that, you know... I, 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 yeah, that, that was the... It seems but, like a cheat to me, because... It do, I don't think that there was any way for them to get out of the episode otherwise. I don't think that Odo is, you know, we're not going to buy Odo coming up with this this sort no. of medical techno babble solution to the problem. So obviously Bashir needed to do it. But Bashir is under the influence of this. And Bashir is, like you said, obviously someone who is playing both sides and trying to, you know, figure out. Yeah, but that person could have been a doctor, too. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, but then how does this person know to do this and why would he do this? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. He's acting like Bashir it, and it, Bashir it, wants yeah. to solve the problem and get the actual people back. But then he's also obviously under the influence of this alien entity. So it, it, it it's it's a cheat is all I'm saying. And I don't think there's any way to really get around it. Eh. I think it's just sloppy. It, it, it is sloppy writing, admittedly. Yes. No, I, I won't deny that. I mean, I guess a lot of the problem was that I don't know. I mean, I've seen – this is another one where we've seen this episode before. I think there was a Buffy episode where this exactly well, happened. Well, we, we, we've seen this in Star Trek. I mean, it's with, pow- stock- with, pow- yeah. with Power Play when, when yeah. O'Brien, Troy, and, and uh, whoever else was, was taken over by those uh, prisoners from that planet. Energy beings. Fuck. Yeah. Um, oh, now we let- haven't heard that in a long time. I so, mean, so for, I, I, for- let me- for listeners that that haven't listened to Trek about for a while, do you, do you want to give a quick encapsulation? Energy, of beings, energy? beings just suck. Okay, good. They're the that's, worst. That's all we needed. Thank you. Um, they're stupid. What's the point? It's like I'm a being, but made of the fuck you. Okay. Um, why did you distract me? Now I now I know. Okay. I because guess, I love I love hearing you talk about energy beings. Fucking energy beings. I guess my problem with this episode is. What was the reason that any of this happened? I completely forgot. I don't know. Yeah. Ah. I, I, I think that's that's a problem. I mean, I at least sort of remember why Pup exists in the world. But, you know, if you can't, you know, I remember that it was, you know, the metal eating goo one. Do you remember that one? Sure. Uh, from Next Generation. I remember what that was. I remember sure. liking that episode very much because it actually made a little sense, you know. Brandon Braga at his best, even when something didn't make any sense, you could at least follow it. This it That's actually a really good point. This is kind of like a Brandon Braga episode, but but less competently done. And the note's not the music. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, let's go back to power play for a minute. Let's let's sort of make that comparison explicit. You know, in that episode, you had three characters that were taken over by the the, the mental energies of prisoners from a planet. They said that they were the, the, you know, actual like Starfleet officers and they were lying. But but that episode was actually good because there was a clear there was a there was a clear threat to the ship. Not everybody was was taken over. And the the real dramatic tension in that episode was about the characters that were closest to them dealing with the fact that these were not the yes. people that they knew and in oh, dramatic- yeah with O'Brien and uh, Keiko, yeah, and his uh, wife, uh, yeah, and his his daughter and everybody. You know, you had that kind of you know with Troy and, and Riker, and, you know, et cetera. So, One but second. in this episode, everyone is taken over except for Odo, and so there's nobody to really play and that Quark. role. And Quark, sure. But but there's no one really to play that role, and frankly, Odo and Quark are not. If 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 Odo, you know, if Quark had been taken over, or and Odo had not, or if Odo had been taken over and Quark had not, I think that would have been more interesting, you know, because Quark and Odo are really the two characters that have a relationship. Quark and Odo don't really have much of a relationship with the rest of the characters at this point, and so it doesn't work for them to only be the two that aren't taken over. There's a lot of problems with the way that this episode I, is constructed. I mean, frankly, it might have even worked better. If the one, you know, uh, uh, Quark had been taken over, but he would have been the one who was playing both sides. So it would have taken, uh, frankly, Odo a little longer to realize that because, all right, it's Quark being Quark, but, oh, getting a little more so. I mean, that might even be a, and then Bashir is, I don't know. Like, I mean, why not? We're trying to fix an episode that doesn't need fixing because it's a minor episode. Well, that's the problem with it is like, there's, there's no... Uh, uh, there's no dramatic tension here. You know, they're just running around, and yeah, obviously they're they're going to solve the problem by the end of the episode. They're not going to blow up the ship, or they're not going to do you know yeah. blow up the station or whatever they're going to do. Uh, uh, but you know, and sort of like I think what they were trying to go for was this idea that you know perhaps they weren't being taken over. You know, Kira perhaps really did feel this way, and Cisco perhaps really did feel this way. But very very quickly, it goes from you know, I being unsure as a viewer as to what's going on to high camp in the space of about seven minutes. Well, I mean, think, that's yeah. a problem. I, I'm, I'm thinking about that episode of the Twilight Zone, uh, the Maple Street one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is, which is a, a group of people who, you know, a couple little suggestions cause the inherent tensions within the community to erupt and destroy themselves. Um and, you know, the twist of that episode is that the people are not being mind-controlled. Um, and this one, yeah, th- that would be an interesting because there are a lot of tensions on this show of who trusts who and where people's loyalties are. And everybody does have the same common goal. But, you know, we we, we – it, it is possible that there could be a natural tension between Kira and Cisco. I mean – the episode where she was with the farmer, the old man. I mean, yeah. there I were there some is. definite te- Yeah, there are tensions. And they, they, they're mostly okay with them. And probably Kira won't mutiny. But she can get very pissed off at Cisco, And there will be situations that will come up that they are going to very much disagree on. Well, and I think that that's a good point. I think that that you, that that encapsulates for me why I dislike the this episode is that there's so there's so much good character work that the show has already been doing that this kind of feels like a slap in the face and is kind of saying, eh, yeah. who cares about that? We just want to see them act weird." And I don't want to see them act weird. I want to see these characters as they actually are 
engage with each other, have difficulties, have problems, solve problems, and sort of, you know, build this world a little bit. And this episode feels, frankly, like a waste of time. Yeah. Um, and again, now I'm also thinking about uh, the drumhead, which was another episode in which, you know, there was no mind control going on, but where existing tensions in a way uh, caused something to spiral out of control, you know. And again, that was one of my absolute favorite episodes um, because it was dealing with the actual political realities. Again, there are a lot of very strong political realities on DS9. And they're using it for, you know, well, a magic space ghost made us mean. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I don't think that this is an episode that was worth their time. And I think that, you know, maybe they could have done this episode in season three or season four and it would have worked fine. But this early on in the show, this feels like too much of a departure. It feels like too much down a path that I don't want them to go down. And it's just not... It's not worth the time. You know, it's, it's, they only have, I mean, while well, I say they only have 20 episodes this season, uh, I mean, that's, that's a lot now. But, you know, maybe they just weren't, maybe they just weren't able to get this one to, to the level that they wanted it. I mean, you know, it's the first season. And, and, and again, the first season of Deep Space Nine is certainly a lot better than the first season of, of The Next Generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, but at the I end mean, of the day, they could contrast this to Naked Now. This is a much better episode than that. Mm-hmm. But, at the same time, we already had the naked now, and that was more that was you know I I don't want to watch it again, right? I, yeah, I don't want to watch it again, and and that's really it. Well, I think that maybe the last thing we can talk about before we wrap this this episode of the show up is you know Odo's role in all of this because we've talked a lot about you know how we don't like this and how the you know whatever, but uh, Odo I think is interesting in this episode, and this is a, this is actually a good episode for Odo because I think that while Odo's not in it a lot. The, the scenes that we see Odo in, uh, René Auberjonois does a very good job of sort of, you know, showing us the gears turning in his head or wherever his brain is. We don't know. He's a shapeshifter. And uh. and really coming to the realization that there is something very wrong going on here. And, and you know, I, I mentioned before that the the sort of, you know, sloppy writing of, of the, the, the possessed Bashir also being the one who's acting like Bashir to solve the problem. Maybe Odo is manipulating him into doing that. You know, we don't really know. No, I like the way that, I mean, he does complete, he does figure out how to completely play Bashir. I mean, in a way, maybe it's because he knows how to talk to Odo all the time that, you know, he recognizes where Bashir is going with this, but he appeals to, he recognized that not quite greed, but a desire for fame is really working on this, you know, a desire. To, again, he real recognizes that this guy is going to play both sides, but he wants to come out on the side that's on top. And he convinces him that, well, the side that's on top is just you and me. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's a lot more glorious than, you know, being the guy who helped one side or the other. He's going to solve the day, you know, and which which I actually think is a very Odo sort of thing to do, because yeah. when, we were, when we were talking about the Forsaken and we're talking about Odo really being the only of his kind and he feels very disconnected from the rest of the of, of the humanoids on the station and all these species and he doesn't understand the culture. This is very in line with that. You know, this is how he would solve this problem. Well, it's interesting because he plays on that sense of glory and being the only one when it's terrifying for him. You know, he doesn't he feels shame in being the other only being only one. But he also recognizes that some people take, you know, that's their goal to be the only one of their kind in a way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, you know, while this is not a great episode of the show, I mean, it's 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 
not a bad episode. I just think that it's again, kind of, if it was, yeah, if it was for special effects, they were some awesome special effects, right? It's just it, it's not what I want to see out of this show, and I think that I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you didn't have you. Maybe this is what you want to see out of the show. I don't know, but it's, eh, eh. <laughs> I'll take that yeah. as a no. I I mean it's it's I. It, if I had to choose between watching this or The Forsaken, I'd choose The Forsaken. Oh, well, yeah, no no, no contest there. I mean, so, that's just, yeah. I mean, and I feel like I might, may, may make that statement for most of the episodes of the season, except for the Q episode. Uh, well, sure. I mean, I think that there have been some missteps, but, you know, we can talk about the first season as a whole next week when we, are, we wrap up the first season, believe Crazy. it or not, already. But... Uh, yeah, I, I think that, that, that you know, what you're responding to in the show over these past few episodes of the podcast as we've started to delve into Deep Space Nine is is kind of what I respond to in the show, which is the character work and the world building yeah. and all of these things. And, you know, while I think that the show is definitely going to have these kinds of episodes, I mean, like I've said, let's I don't want to overstate the serialization of the show. I don't want to overstate the fact that we're still talking about an early to mid-90s syndicated science fiction television show. You know, it is going to they're doing 26 episodes a season. They are going to have these sort of one off special effects episodes, as you call them. And that's fine. I just kind of wish that this one had been a little better. (laughs) I I think that's that's about all we can say. All right. Well, if you have any thoughts on either one of these episodes, uh, it was my favorite. (laughs) Please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. Uh, or any fo- other episode of the podcast. Or any other episode. Leave comments for all of them. Uh, work your way back from the first and go go up to 157 or whatever the hell this is. Really? Something like that. I don't know. Hmm. Please follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash trekaboutshow for all of our wonderful updates. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekaboutshow. And please leave us an iTunes review. It is very, very important that you do so. And we will love you when you do. Five stars, please. Yes, we won't love you otherwise. So next week, we wrap up the first season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Crazy. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? By talking about duet and in the hands of the prophets. 